Matthew 25, starting with verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him. He will separate people one from another, as a a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will put the sheep at His right hand and the goats at His left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick, or in prison, and did not take care of you. Then he will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Over the last uh, three weeks, we've been doing a series about Christ in his offices. Christ in his offices. We talk about Christ in his offices. That's a particular way of talking about who Jesus is uh, for us uh, now and who he is and and was in his life on earth. And uh, it's a particular way of talking about him. Of course, we have a lot of different uh, names that will apply to Jesus. We say that he's son of God, son of man. That one crops up in this verse here today. We say that he's Savior, Messiah. We might say that he's the word of God. When we talk about Christ in his offices, we mean three particular things. Christ as prophet, Christ as priest, and Christ as king. And these are ways to unveil to us the full scope of who God is and what he means to us. It's, the purpose isn't to sort of put Jesus in a box and say, well, this is what he does, and now we've got it all sort of sussed out. It's to tell us of the overarching, all-encompassing glory of the God that we worship. We talked about Christ as prophet. We talked about uh, how Jesus brings to us the message of God the Father. So if you want to visually picture it, think of God and sort of an arrow pointing to us, humanity, and, and Jesus is written on the arrow. Jesus is how God brings his word to us. We talked about Christ as priest and Christ's role as standing between us and God the Father, mediating between us so that we might have a relationship, carrying the the needs and realities and concerns of human beings and the sufferings of human beings to 
God the Father, and then carrying the Father's authority and forgiveness and peace back to us. So if you want to visualize that, picture sort of God here and humanity here, and the arrow that goes between them has a a pointer in both directions. But today we talk about Jesus the King. Jesus the King. And when we talk about Jesus the King, what we should visualize is God's uh, all-encompassing rule over all that he has made. And I, I'm not saying an arrow pointing down toward humanity, though that perhaps is a part of it. Picture a circle. Picture God as having rule over all that he has made, human beings as well as the rest of creation. When we talk about God as king, we're talking about the reality that God rules over all, that God is the one in authority. You know, sometimes we as Americans, we, we have skepticism about kings, right? We, we got rid of George III and all the rest of them. We don't need kings. We're a democracy, and we don't like it when our, our presidents act like kings. It uh, sort of raises our hackles. Um, and so we have this skepticism that any king could be good. And of course, in Scripture, many of Israel's kings are bad. We'll get to that in a minute. But the kind of king that we're dealing with here, the kind of theocracy even that we're dealing with, all depends on the character of the king. If your king is good, if your king indeed is perfect, then you can't ask for a better rule, a better authority. So this all comes down to the character of the God who we say is our king. And what I think Matthew 25 is about, I think Matthew 25 is about, is telling us the character of Jesus the king, telling us about the character of the God that we worship. This is a passage that tells us what it means for Jesus to be the king, the judge, the shepherd that brings justice. And what it tells us is that Jesus brings justice to his people. It's the character of God. He brings that justice by, uh, or because he knows his people. He loved them and created them and is with them. And he, then he brings that justice by suffering with them. That, to me, is what this passage is about. You know, when Jesus' audience would have heard about, uh, uh, would have heard this message, instantly their minds would have jumped to uh, two central images from the Old Testament about what it means for, for God to bring justice. Two central images. All throughout the Old Testament, it seems, um, the shepherd is presented as an image of two things. One, of uh, Israel's kings. You might remember David. He was called to be king when he was still just a shepherd boy. They had to, uh, his father didn't even bring him in when uh, the prophet came to, to, to say which one was going to be king. He forgot all about him. He was out there tending the sheep. And God brings him in and says, you are going to be the one who is shepherd over my people, Israel. And so a shepherd is a classic Old Testament image of Israel's kings, or at least what they're supposed to be. And of course, when we talk about uh, the good shepherd in the Old Testament, what we also call to mind is God himself. It's God himself. We all know Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. To talk about a shepherd is to talk about what it means for God's rule to be over his people by God himself and by those who are supposed to be the representatives of God. Now, of course, the problem is that uh, Israel was full of human beings. Uh, and Israel's kings were not the perfect leaders that they should be. They were flawed humans. 
And though they were called to be good shepherds that reflected the good shepherd God, they failed in that task again and again and again. And so thus we have things, I have passages like Ezekiel 34. I won't read the whole thing to you, but it's worth going back to read later. Ezekiel 34, where God comes to Ezekiel and, and it says this, the word of God sp- came to me, mortal prophecy against the shepherds of Israel. That's the king's. Prophecy and say to them, to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, you shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the sheep. You have not strengthened the weak, you have not healed the sick, you have not bound up the injured, you have not brought back the stray, you have not sought the loss, but with force and harshness you have ruled them. And it goes on from there. All of the ways that the shepherds of Israel had failed God's people. But then God says this, For thus says the Lord God, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As shepherds seek out flocks, When they are among the scattered sheep, so I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places to which they have been scattered on the day of clouds and thick darkness. It goes on to say this, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak, but the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them with justice. God's promise is that even though the shepherds of Israel have failed them, that God hasn't failed them. God hasn't failed Israel. That God himself will come and shepherd his sheep. So when Jesus starts talking about the Son of Man who is the good shepherd, the minds of the people are going to be saying, Ah, I see what you're doing here. This is an image of Jesus as king, of God's rule coming to his people. And the other image here is, one is the shepherd, the other is of the Son of Man. The first line here, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and the angels with Him. You know, a lot of times when we hear the phrase Son of Man, we think that's one of those little handy things that we stick on Jesus. We say this is the Son of Man, and sometimes the Son of God and Son of Man. And what people often think that means is that Jesus is fully human and fully divine. Well, that's true. Jesus is fully human and fully divine, but that's not what the phrase Son of Man means. It doesn't just mean that he was born from Mary. The the phrase son of man is a very specific reference to Daniel 7. And it's an image of God's justice coming there as well. And in Daniel 7, the son of man goes up to the ancient of days or the ancient one. Some of your translations of of the Bible might say one like a human being. That's the son of man. And it's an image of God's justice then coming to his people. This is, again, a story about God's rule. Daniel 7, starting with verse 9, says this, As I watched, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his throne. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. And his throne was fiery flames, and its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and flowed out from his presence. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood attending him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were open. It's an image of God the great judge. God the Father is the great judge. And then what happens? On down a few verses. 
And as I watched the night visions, I saw one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. And he came to the ancient one, to the ancient of days, and was presented before him. To him was given dominion and glory and kingship that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that shall not pass away. And his kingship is one that shall never be destroyed. This is Daniel's vision of, the, of, the, of justice coming to the earth. Of people who are in exile, who are, uh, who are tormented by their oppressors, finally, finally getting redemption at the hands of God. And so you have this figure, the one like the Son of Man, going up to the Ancient of Days. And when Christians read this, of course, what they hear in the Ancient of Days is God the Father and the Son of Man, we, we understand to be Jesus. This is about Jesus going to the Father and then becoming king. And in fact, that's precisely what we celebrate on this day of the church year. You know, it's almost Thanksgiving, so our minds are all on Thanksgiving. But, and that's good, but um, we should be especially thankful because this is the end of the Christian year. And the last day in the Christian year is Christ the King Sunday. And the whole trajectory of Christian worship, if we follow it through the year, we begin with Advent, we're hoping for Jesus, we come to Christmas, we, we celebrate the arrival of the hope of the world and then we'll go to Lent and Easter with Jesus' death and, and resurrection. And then we go through all through the summer and through the fall. Uh, and then we come through, and then we come up to Christ the King Sunday, where we celebrate that, that Christ is king over all. And in fact, that's the very last image of the Bible, of uh, Christ coming to be king over all the world when uh, the new Jerusalem comes out of the heaven to earth. Christ the King. That's our hope as Christians, that's our hope as Christians, that, that God will bring his justice and rule over everything and that we can be a part of that by having faith in him, by being his people. So when Jesus tells this story, when Jesus tells this story, he's telling a story about God's judgment coming to his people, about God finally fixing all the things that they know to be wrong. You know, we often read this as, um, a story about the second coming of Jesus. And it is. It does tell us about the second coming, I think. But it tells us about the second coming because it tells us about the first. This is about Jesus being the one who is bringing God's rule. And notice what the, ancient of man, uh, the, ancient, the Son of Man does in that Daniel 7 verse. The Son of Man doesn't come back to earth. The Son of Man goes up to heaven and is seated at the throne. What Jesus is telling his disciples here is that you're about to see this happen. Because what's going to happen is Jesus is going to die, he's going to be raised again, and then he's going to ascend into heaven and take his authority over everything. This is Jesus' promise to his disciples and to us that he is the good king. He is the one who has come to bring justice to the least of these. So that's what the, the character of God is that he brings justice. Why does he bring justice? Why does he bring justice? That's the second thing I think this, uh, this passage tells us about. The character of God is that he is the God who knows and loves the creation that he has made. And that's, that's embedded in this idea of a shepherd. You know, you can't shepherd from a distance, you know, you can't. You can't shepherd by video camera or, or you can't FaceTime in to be a shepherd. Uh, you can't telecommute and be a shepherd. 
You have to shepherd right up there close and personal. The shepherd knows his sheep. He knows what they look like. He can pick the ones who are his out of a mixed flock. He can separate the sheep from the goats because he's right there with them. He knows what they need. He knows who they are. So when we talk about a shepherd, we're talking about uh, an image of God as being up close and personal with his people. And whatever good is done, whatever justice is done, it's done because the shepherd is there with good things. It's there with them. But it goes the other way too. You know, we've been doing the, the sort of the Ask the Pastor series um, that we've been studying through at, at Mount Olive. And um, some of y'all have submitted questions and we'll, we'll try to do something like that down here too. Um, one of the questions that has come up a couple of times is... Uh, some version of this, where is God when bad things happen? You know, where is God when uh, the shooting in Newtown, Massachusetts happened? That was a specific one that somebody asked. Where is God? And we ask that about ourselves too when we know that tragedies happened to us. Where was God when this happened? And if we listen to this verse, and we look for where God is, where do we find God? God is with the least of these. God is with the ones who are hungry. God is with the ones who are thirsty. God is with the stranger. God is with the one who's naked. God is with the imprisoned. And we can say it about the folks there. We can say it about ourselves too. Where is God? God is the one who is there with the person who's just lost his job and doesn't know how he's going to feed his family. God is there with the one who is suffering from mental illness or depression. God is there with the one who's just gotten devastating news from his or her doctor. God is there with the, the kid at school who's bullied all the time. God is there with the one who is suffering, who's the least of these. And the promise that comes with God being with them is that God won't just leave them there, that God will do something God will be with them so that they might find redemption. That they might hope in the God who will bring justice. We're not dealing with a distant king. This isn't the kind of king who sits on his judgment seat, who sits at a distance in his palace. This is a king who is there with his people. So I wasn't going to tell you all this little bit of uh, interpretation, but uh, I'm going to go ahead. Um, you know, a lot of times we read this passage and we say, uh, okay, this, is a, this should tell us that we need to go out, we need to feed the hungry and, uh, and uh, clothe the naked and, and you know, bring water to the thirsty and, and be with the people who are sick and be, visit people who are in prison. And it's, it's about what we should do as Christians. And of course we should do all those things. There's plenty of other places in the Bible that tell us that. Well, I'm not against any of that stuff. I hope we do plenty of that and more. But that's not actually what this passage is about. Because who does Jesus say that God is with? He says that he's with the least of these, my brethren. And before he said that his brethren, his brothers and sisters, are anyone who does the will of the Father in heaven. Jesus is saying is that, that this judgment that's going to come is going to come on those, uh, come on people on the basis of how they have treated the least of those who are part of his church. This is saying that God is going, whatever you're going through in your life and whoever is causing that, that God's going to bring judgment on them. 
And if you're going through poverty or sickness or whatever, that God's going to bring judgment on that. God is going to come to your defense. This is an image of God coming to the defense of his people. You know, for we're in relative terms. I'm not saying everybody's life is easy because certainly it's not. But, you know, we live in a country that's well-fed and well-entertained and by historical standards, extremely wealthy. And of course, we have our own ways that we suffer. It's easy for us to think of, uh, you know, think of ourselves as, as people who are in power. And then it's easy for us to abuse that message that God's on our side to just defend anything that we want to do. But if you are one of the Christians in this world who are oppressed by your government, if you're one of the Christians in this world who live on less than a dollar a day, then what you want is for God to bring judgment on your behalf because you need God to save you. And that goes for us too because we have our own trouble that we know. And we need God to come to be with us because we can't get by without him. And this passage is a promise that God will be with you no matter what you are going through. We're about to go into Christmas season, and one of the, one of the names that we always hear in Christmas applied to Jesus is Emmanuel. Emmanuel. What's Emmanuel mean? I know somebody knows. What's that? God with us. God with us. The whole point of Jesus is that God is with us. God is the God who brings justice. God is the one who uh, brings justice because he knows and loves his creation and he is with them. And the last image from this passage is that God is the one who brings justice by suffering with his people, by suffering on behalf of his people. You know, a lot of times we read the Bible, we kind of take a little, we take a little verse and we kind of pick it out and, uh, and we disconnect it from everything else. And this, this particular passage has been a victim of that. We just know, you know, do we should do to the least of these and we say that. Or we might even have the whole thing in mind, but we don't think about where it takes place in Matthew, uh, in the actual gospel. Well, it's important to note where and when Jesus is saying this. Because Jesus tells this story as the last thing he tells his disciples before he goes and is crucified. This is the last thing before the passion narrative starts, before the the, the story about his crucifixion begins. So if you've read through the Gospel of Matthew at least twice, or if you know the basic Christian story, when you read this, this should be popping into your mind. Jesus is about to go on trial. He's the one who is judged. And he's judged to be guilty, and they crucify him. But yet he's saying that the one who is judged is the judge. I mean, for you uh, English teachers out there, this is what we call irony. We know something that the ones who are sitting right there before Jesus don't. He's about to go on trial and be crucified. But he's telling his disciples that he's the judge of the world. And so what they're supposed to get and what we're supposed to get as we read this is that no matter what it looks like in the chapters we're about to read, and no matter what it looks like in our lives, God isn't dead. And no matter what it looks like, God is still the king. Jesus is still the king, and he can be trusted. The one who is judged 
turns out to be the one who is the judge over the whole world. And that's why Jesus can be with all of those who are suffering, because he suffers himself. Because he suffers himself. I think there's no way that we can be the church unless we really believe that. Unless you really believe that. And we can pray all the prayers that we want. We can do all of the good deeds that we want. But it'll come to naught unless you really believe that Jesus is the king. Unless you really believe that he has promised to save the world. If you don't believe that, I don't know how you get by on a daily basis. You're going to run out of energy. Because you're never going to fix everything on your own. Because We live in a world where there's still suffering and pain and where we need Jesus to be with us. So this passage tells us not to lose hope. Because the king over the whole world knows what it's like to be with us and to suffer with us so that we can have new life. We worship the God who is the one who brings justice. We worship the God who is the one who brings justice because he made and knows and is with the world. And we worship the God who suffers with the world. No matter what you're going through, the promise of Jesus is to be right there with you as king over all the world. If you believe that, if you believe that, then you know what it is to say that Jesus is king. And if you know what it is to say that Jesus is king, then you're ready to go and be the church. Without that confession, without knowing that in your gut, you just can't do it. You just can't get by. My prayer for us all is that we know that Jesus is the king. Let's pray.